certainly a privilege to be here with you this morning. I trust the Lord would bless us a little while to uh, be able to look into the subject that's on my mind this morning. I uh, I spent all week, most of the week, trying to get a certain subject on my mind that I wanted to preach on, and uh, it didn't work out too well. And uh, I don't know how to preach other than that which I feel the Lord's put on my heart and mind. Uh, maybe other ministers are are more uh, have greater abilities; they can preach on things that they're not thinking about. Uh, it's not the case with me. So, <clears throat> things on my mind, I trust there are the Lord. I'll, I'll direct your attention to Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3. We, we sang in a, a hymn, um, this last hymn, Where is thy God, the scoffers say. Where is thy God? <clears throat> We're going to read here in this third chapter. Um some things that the scoffers are saying, scoffers of this world. Now, I, uh, and I try to, to, I'd like to try to talk to you today about the coming of the Lord, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way I understand it, the events that will immediately follow. I understand there's different views of eschatology or the doctrines of last things and how things go. Um, I certainly do not claim to be infallible in my views, but all I can present is my views of what I'm persuaded the Bible to teach and give the supporting scriptures for that belief. And um, all I'd say is you search the scriptures. If you find what I'm saying so, you believe it. If you don't, then you don't. All I'd ask is that the, as the Apostle Paul told Timothy in Second. Timothy chapter 2, 2 verse 7, he says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. I'd ask you to consider what I say in the scriptures that support my views. Alright, so, so I'd like to talk about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the judgment, and the entrance of the saints of God into everlasting bliss, and the destruction of the wicked, and I say destruction, I don't mean annihilation. I mean that God is going to judge them and they'll be cast in like a fire forever and ever and ever. All right. So, but I want to start here in Second Peter. We just read in that song, that last song we sang said, the scoffers say, where is thy God? The scoffers say. Well, here we find some scoffers uh, Peter addresses and uh, of the, at least addresses to the children of God that there'll be scoffers in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming. So let's look here in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, 
whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I want to stop right there. And because it may not be that clear of what is going on here. The scoffers are saying, where is the promise of His coming? You Christian folks keep saying and believing that the Lord's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. These scoffers are saying, well, where is He at? I don't see Him. What do you mean He's coming back? But it's interesting what they're also they're saying. They're saying that, they say, where's the promise of His coming? They say, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Everything's been on an even keel since creation. And he says, and, and, and my brother is a geologist by schooling, learning, trade or whatever. He's a geologist. And he was reading this passage of Scripture. He says, oh, that's the doctrine of uniformitarianism. We learned that in geology classes. So what do you mean? He said, oh yeah, they teach that, you know, all the geological layers, everything goes on an even keel down through time, depositing this layer in the Cambrian and Precambrian, all these layers, and a simple, smooth, you know, even keel, things continue on, and it's just like, and there's been no big interruption like a flood. <clears throat> no, no, they deny the flood. Because according to the doctrine of uniformitarianism, all things continue as they were from the beginning. However, if it evoluted up and it's just been this nice even keel. And that's, that, that goes into all their calculations and, and, and understanding about evolution and the layers of the earth and all that. I said, oh, that's good to know, Brother Hugh. Doctrine of uniformitarianism, okay. That's, that, all right, that, 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 that's what he's saying. They deny the flood. He says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. In other words, God created them. The heaven, by the word of God, He spake them into existence. He didn't have many in His geology class that believe that. They believe it evoluted up through time, through millions and millions of years, right? They deny that by the word of God the heavens were of old. And also the earth standing into the water and out of the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. In other words, they deny, says for this they willingly are ignorant of. Alright? By the word of God, these things were created and made, and that there was a flood. They, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, perished. He says, but the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word are kept in store. The same word that spake it all in existence, it's keeping the present heaven and earth now. And God gave a token of a rainbow back over there as a sign of the covenant that He wouldn't destroy the world because of their sins through a flood anymore. And he goes on and he says, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same store, by the, by the same word, are kept in store and are reserved under the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
Now, see, it was an understanding of the New Testament Christians. The reason these scoffers are saying, look, all things continue as they always have been. Where is your God? You say God's coming back. And what I want you to understand is, the Christians in that day understood that when the Lord comes back, He's coming back in... One of the things He's coming back for is judgment. He's coming back as a judge. As a matter of fact, in Jude 14, it says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. He's coming back as a judge. And here's these scoffers saying, Oh, you say God's coming back and He's going to bring forth judgment against sin? Ha, 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 where is He? Ha, ha, ha. You say God came one time back years ago and He destroyed because of the sinfulness of men. He destroyed them off of the face of the earth with a flood. Ha, ha, ha. We don't believe that. All things have always continued. God's never come in judgment. See, they understood the Christian understanding, the community there understood and believed and taught that when He comes back, they understood there was going to be a judgment. And that's why in the preceding chapter here in Second Peter chapter 2, He talks about, let's just look at it, this. See, the, see, the flood was like a mini a mini judgment concerning, uh, as, as opposed to the big judgment when he's coming again. See, God through history would give these little judgments, which were big in and of themselves, but they let them know that God's gonna come, and when he comes, he's gonna judge sin. He's gonna bring judgment against sin. Has he ever done that? Well, let's look back in the second chapter. He says, he talks about these false teachers through covetous make Merchandise of you. Verse 3, And these through covetous, they shall with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. He says, For if God spared... Listen to it. This is a big, long sentence. He says, For if God spared not... He says, For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and... He spared not. God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I, if the Lord did all these things, He destroyed the world by flood and saved Noah. He destroyed, He rained, He rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin, and He delivered just Lot. He delivered Lot out of that. He delivered Noah out of that. What's the conclusion about all those examples of these judgments? Verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. You see what he's doing? He's given these, he's given the example of God's judgment against the, the wicked world where every imagination of the heart was only evil continually in the flood. He wiped them off through judgment of water. When God came, He came in judgment. 
When he came there, he came down to Sodom and Gomorrah, heard the cry. You remember those that talked with, with Abraham? They went in. There wasn't ten righteous in that place. And he destroyed it off the face of the earth. He destroyed it. Rained down fire and brimstone. He delivered some people though, didn't he? See, this is like a, this is an example. This is what God does. When God comes, He's gonna bring forth, He's gonna judge sin. And He's coming in wrath against sin. That's one of the things God does when He comes. And that's one of the things He's gonna do at the end. When He comes. At the end of this world, He's gonna do the same thing. He's going to come in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7, 8, 9, uh, 10, 11. Alright? We'll get there in a minute. But see, they understood that. These scoffers understood what these Christians believed. That God's coming and guess what's happening when God comes? When God comes, like He came in the flood, He He judged sin. He came and saw Him more, and He judged sin. When He comes again, He's the judge of the quick and dead. He's going to come as a judge of the quick and dead. That's what's one of the things He's going to do when He comes again. You want a verse? Timothy, Second Timothy chapter one, Second Timothy chapter four, verse one. It says, "It says, uh, um, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ." Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom? Preach the word. When's that judgment going to be? When he comes again. I've already told you, Jude 14, Behold, the Lord cometh uh, with ten thousands of the saints to execute judgment. That's one of the purposes for which he comes. And that's one of the things the New Testament Christians understood that he was coming. When he comes again, there's going to be judgment. And that's why these scoffers are saying, oh, 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 where's the promise of His coming? And when I say the promise of His coming, He's not saying, you know, I wonder where the promise of His coming is written down. The promise of His coming. What's the promise of His coming? No, He's talking about, I believe, the fulfillment of that promise when He comes again. Uh, you say, well, is it ever used that way in the Scriptures? Yeah, let's go with me to Acts chapter 7 just for a moment. And we'll see here, in uh, it talks about the children of Israel... In Jacob's day, they went to sow dirt down in Egypt. And you remember that God had told Abraham back in the Genesis uh, 15, 16, 17, right in there, that your your family, your seed's going to dwell in a strange land for 400 years. Then I'm going to bring them out. He promised to bring them out at a specified time. Right? From that bondage from, of, of being under the Egyptians. Alright? And here it says in... Uh, uh, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's given his defense. Stephen says this. He says, they were carried, Jacob, verse 15. So Jacob went down into Egypt. He died and our fathers and were carried over into Sechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, uh, of the son of Sechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till a king arose which knew not Joseph. When he says when the time of the promise drew nigh, he's talking about the fulfillment of that promise to come out and bring them out after so many years. Where's the there? He says the time of the promise drew nigh. That is the fulfillment of the promise. These scoffers are saying, where is the promise of his coming? In other words, you say he's coming. Where's the fulfillment of the promise of his coming? There's never been, oh, you say he's coming in judgment just like he did on the flood? 
No, there's never been a flood. They willingly deny. No, there's never been any great catastrophe where God came and He intervened and He judged them uh, through a flood. See, they deny the flood. Now, I said all that just to get in our minds that the early New Testament Christians, they understood that when the, upon the Lord's return, there's going to be judgment. And Peter continues with that in this chapter when he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he talks about, it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Alright? In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He says, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. When He comes again, there's going to be a judgment and He's going to come as a thief in the night. Alright? So they understood there was going to be a judgment. Alright? And that's what Paul is talking about. Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's exactly what I believe Paul was talking about when he was telling the children of God there at Thessalonica, you know, they were under persecution there at Thessalonica. They were under suffering and persecution. They were looking forward to the Lord's return. Because it's going to end all the persecution and suffering. You don't think there's persecution and suffering? We can look in the first chapter of Thessalonians. I mean the first Thessalonians chapter 2. Where he talks about verse 14. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. We're in first Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 14, if you're trying to follow along. He says, For ye have also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. Alright? So he's saying, Your countrymen, just like the Jews who slew the prophets, even you have men of your own countrymen persecuting you. Alright? This is a persecuted people. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter one. He says, verse three: We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your what all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. They were enduring persecutions. They were enduring tribulations. And Paul is writing to them. Alright? And he says, he says, he says these persecutions and tribulations that you're enduring right now. He writes his second letter to them. You're enduring these persecutions, these tribulations, these sufferings. He says, verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. They were suffering. They're under persecution and tribulation. You get that, right? And he says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. See, alright, there's, there's those that are troubling you, persecuting you, and you're suffering <clears throat> under them. And he says, but uh, it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to those that are troubling you. And to you who are troubled. See, they were troubled. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When? 
When the Lord Jesus Christ, He says, And you who have troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our gospel is believed among you in that day. See, there's a day when the Lord comes again. You're going to be relieved. You, you rest with us from your troubles because God is going to pour down His wrath upon the wicked when He comes again. See, they understood when the Lord comes. And, and the other thing they understood is the Lord's coming not just to execute judgment in this last day. See, there's coming a day of all days where He's going to come. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead at the last day. There's going to be a judgment at that last day. And there's going to be entrance of the righteous into heaven and the consignment of the wicked into the lake of fire. I believe in all one day. They understood. Paul is saying, you're in tribulation, you're in suffering now, but guess what? When the Lord comes, you're going to be relieved and there's going to be judgment and retribution upon those that would persecute you and give you tribulation. Can you see that? You were troubled. Well, you know, you're troubled now. You're persecuted. You're cast down and destroyed. I'm going to tell you what. Cast down but not destroyed, the Bible says, right? Uh, but you're, you're cast down. You're persecuted. But rest with us. When? When are you going to begin that rest? When the Lord comes again. Because that's going to be a day. They understood God's going to come in judgment against sin in that day. He's going to come with everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his Angels there. He says, he says they in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, when he shall come to be, he says, uh, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. See, this is the time he's coming. When he comes again, he's going to come back with his angels. You remember Matthew chapter 25 verse 31? When the Son of Man shall come and all his holy angels with him. See? He's not coming by himself. He's coming with the angels. Alright? Come with the angels. He says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and all nations shall be gathered unto Him. And He'll separate them one from another as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And that's when He says to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Alright? He's coming in judgment. But right before that, I mean, before they're standing, they're going to be gathered because they're all going to come out of the graves in the resurrection of the day, dead. Alright? But I want us to notice something. When the Lord comes again, not only did they understand when the Lord comes the second time, and you know, let me just stop right here. There's a lot of comings of the Lord taught in Scripture. Okay? There are. There's different comings of the Lord. Um... We can look over here in uh, John chapter 14. Let's just look at a, di- a couple of different ones. See, when you study this subject, you got to study it thoroughly and know what different comings of the Lord there are. There's a coming of the Lord here that isn't talking about His second coming in John chapter 14. <clears throat> you, remember, you remember He said, I'll give you a comforter and I'll come to you? Listen to what He says here in, let's just get one verse John chapter 14 verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and will, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. Now there's a coming of the Lord. 
uh, that's a spiritual coming of the Lord and comfort and, and succor and, 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 and fellowship. Uh, the Lord can come to you and you might be having a bad day and, and darkness and the God can come in that special way and lighten your day. I'm going to tell you there's a spiritual coming where He can come upon us and to succor and hold and help and guide and support and deliver us from our troubles, from our anxieties, whatever those things are. He can come. He says, I'll come unto you. He'll come unto me. I was in a sore strait and He came unto me. All right? There's a spiritual coming. That's not talking about His second coming. When I talk about the second coming, I'm going to talk about the second bodily coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright? But there's other comings. Let's take a look at one more. There's other ways the Lord can come. There's ways the Lord can come to us that we really don't like because He can come to us in chastisement. Has the Lord ever came and give you a spanking? Has He ever come in chastisement? I trust He has. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's an evidence that you're one of God's children. Alright? And it's evidence that a father and mother that loves their children, that's the spankings that we get. My dad used to always say, I'm spanking you, I love you. And I'm doing this for your good. And I'm thinking, what in the world? He that spareth the rod hateth his son. That's what the scripture says. A person that will not spank their children do not have their children's best interest at heart. But it's a sign of love because we need to be corrected. We need to be learned obedience. We need to learn authority structures. If you do not teach your children the authority of mom and dad, they will not understand or give heed to the authority of the policeman or anybody else out in society. Alright, enough said. But here he says, uh, let's, let's look. Let's look in Revelation chapter 2. Here's a coming. He says in verse 5 to the church at Ephesus, he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly. That's not a good coming either. He says, I'm going to come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. Here is a coming in judgment against the church. That's not a good coming. That's a coming of the Lord, not one that's favorable though. But the one I'm talking about today is, I'm talking about Him coming, not in judgment, in providence, not His coming as the comforter to comfort and edify and, and help you uh, on a daily basis. I'm talking about He comes the second time bodily. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Where is He now? He's in heaven. John saw Him. He's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us as our mediator. He's there making intercession for us. To appear in the presence of God for us, nor, verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest into the holy places every year with the blood of others. He's not doing this every year. He says, for then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. You know, he only made one sacrifice forever and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's what he did. He purged, his, he purged our sins by himself once. 
He didn't have to do it multiple times. He did it one time. Alright? He died one time on the cross to make His life a ransom for His children. Alright? Did it one time. And He says, if He was like these high priests, He must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now what? In the end of the world, hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Now he that appearing right there was through His conception and birth. He appeared bodily. Alright? Bodily. In His first appearance to effect redemption. But He's coming back a second time bodily and every eye shall see Him. And it's to retrieve the objects of His love. To have the resurrection of the dead. To get those bodies whom He died for. He's not going to lose a one. He's going to raise it up again at the last day. And I don't believe there's a day after the last day. He's coming the last day and He's going to deliver them up. But it says here that He says, For now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The first time He came, He had no sin of Himself, uh, but He assumed He was made to be sin for us. And He bare our sins. So He bare our sins. He's not coming back bearing sin. He's coming back without any kind of sin, not our sins anymore. Those were put away as far as the east is from the west. He washed us from our sins. When He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Hebrews 1.3. Alright? So, but He's coming back the second time without sin unto salvation. Do you know what the Christians understood? That when the Lord comes back again, it's going to be to our deliverance. It's going to be unto our salvation. Because we're going to be home, go home, be gathered unto the Lord to live with Him forever and ever. When the Lord comes again. Yes, He's coming to issue judgment. But he's also coming to take his people home. That's why in, in Revelation, you know, Jesus said, the last verse of Revelation says, Surely I come quickly. And John said, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Are you looking for the Lord's return? He says over there in Titus chapter 2, he talks about the grace of God which bringeth salvation, verse 11. He says, For the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared unto us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for Him to come? My friends, your woes will be over. You'll all your tears will be dried. You'll go home to be with Him, my friends, in glory. He's where we gathered unto Him. You ought to comfort one another with these words. That's what He did in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, he says, Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that you saw not even as others which have no hope. You know those people in here have no hope outside, you know, outside the grave. Once you're dead, you're dead all over like the dead dog rover and you're just, uh, you know, you're gone. I had a man, as a, he claimed to be an agnostic. Not an atheist. He was a science guy, right? He was an agnostic and rather than an atheist because he would say, I don't know if there's a God or not. And I said, well, why do you believe that? He said, well, I just can't believe that after I die, it's all over. There's just got to be something else. Well, there is something else. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're righteous or you're the wicked. There is something else. All right? 
Because we, as human beings, we continue to have a human existence forever and ever and ever. You ever thought about that? The wicked aren't burned up. There's some right now, according to Jude, it says that they are suffering, present tense, the vengeance of eternal fire. That's what it says. Alright, anyway. But there in that text, uh, where was I? I was in the fourth chapter of Second Thessalonians. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, verse 13, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. I'm sorry, what did I say? Second? Thank you. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Sorry about that. Thanks for your help. 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them which are asleep. I, I, I want to ask you a question. If I, if I told you that, um, let's see if I can get this right. If I told you that I was going to come to your house next Saturday, and let's say you're in a family, and if you don't have, you're not, you know, maybe you're the kid in your family. Just think about back when you were a kid and you had your parents there. If I said, okay, I'm going to come to your house next uh, Saturday, and, uh, you know, your parents aren't going before the children. What am I talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? You shouldn't because you don't have no context to what I'm talking about. But if I came to your house and said, you know, uh, oh, I'm going to come to your house next Saturday and you parents aren't going to go before the children. So what in the world? You didn't know you had a crazy preacher up here, right? Or maybe you did. What are you talking about? Well, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? But if you had prior knowledge that I was going to come drop by on a Saturday and take the family out for ice cream. And then I called you up and said, I'm going to, I'm going to come, I'll be there Saturday, and uh, the parents aren't going to go before the children. You know it's talking about going to get ice cream, right? I'm going to take you all together. Parents don't get to go get ice cream before the kids. You know what I was talking about. You say, why are you asking all that question? All right, let's get to it. Do you realize that the, the, the Thessalonians, understand, they had an understanding that when the Lord comes again, they get to go home. And He's going to take them home. They understood that. It was a Christian teaching in that day. When the Lord comes again, you know what's happening? He's going to take us home. So when Paul just comes along, he says, hey, When he says, This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them which are asleep. That prevent means go before. He just comes on and says, Look, when the Lord comes back, 
The people who's living is not going to go before those that are dead. What's he ta- they knew what he was talking about. Because they knew when the Lord comes back, they're going home. You, you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to tell you the wording of this verse right here is evident that they understood that when the, the principle, that when the Lord comes home, when the Lord comes again, He's going to take us with Him. Well, why would they... Why in the world would they think that? Because that's what Christian. That's what he taught. Go to if you go to. Uh, we have the promise of his coming. Those scoffers says, "Where's the promise of his coming?" You know, Christ promised to come. Go with me to John chapter fourteen. He says, "Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you." He says, "I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what?" I'll come again and what? And receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to come back and get you. You see. I'm going to come back and get you. Even though your your body is in the tomb, I'm coming back to get you. They understood the fact that not only is this day that He comes back going to be a day of judgment, They also understood it's going to be their deliverance day. And Paul brings this out in 2 Thessalonians 2. Also. Alright, we'll go to 2 Thessalonians. We already looked in the first chapter, right? And you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. They understood, yeah, the judgment's coming with everlasting uh, uh, destruction from the presence of the Lord. Those that are not his. Alright? He says, but then he writes verse chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord, by what? By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We beseech thee, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. See that? When the Lord comes, we're going to be gathered together unto him. That's what they understood. And he says, by the coming, we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, those that are alive and remain, not going to go before those that are dead, but we're all going to be gathered unto Him. He says, but I would not have you to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. He just wrote them an epistle in every chapter he talks about the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. Every chapter. He talks about the patient waiting for the coming of the Lord. He talks about in chapter 1 that they are waiting for the coming of uh, uh, waiting for our Son from heaven who He raised from the dead. It talks says something about the second coming of the Lord in all those chapters. And I get the idea from this second epistle some thought, well, maybe He's probably coming tomorrow. Paul's saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Paul is saying, I wouldn't have you. I beseech you by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto Him that you be not soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or word or even by a letter from me that the day of Christ is at hand like it's right here. He says, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. There's some things that's going to happen. I didn't mean, don't, don't take from my first letter that he's coming like tomorrow. And... uh I, I I don't know. I may not I shouldn't even mention this. I'm gonna. Okay, this is. Well, 
Shouldn't do that. I was going to give you some speculation. I don't like giving speculation. All I know though is there were some at that Thessalonians church that weren't working no more. That's why I said if a man will not work, neither should he eat. I don't know the cause of that, but I've wondered. I've wondered. Maybe they thought, well, the Lord's coming tomorrow. You, you've heard different groups. You know, the, the Lord's coming on a certain day. They quit their job and they, they sell their home and all that kind of stuff. I don't know why they sell their home. They think they're going to take the money with them. But you know, they just stop all human activity because the Lord's coming in next week. Might as well sell everything you got, quit your job and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, we don't know when the Lord's coming, but we know He's coming. Alright? But anyway, they, that, that some of them thought, well, he's, it's just imminent. It's just right here. Well, there's some things going to have to happen first before the day of Christ comes. And we get, are gathered unto Him in that day of Christ. The day of the Lord. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where He... Uh, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Now I said, I said earlier that... Uh, we looked and saw that when the Lord comes in flaming fire, angels are coming with Him. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, Matthew 25, 31, there's angels coming. But that's not, that's not all the host that's coming back when the Lord comes the second time. You know who else is coming? All the saints that have died in the Lord in spirit and soul. You know why? Because when the Lord comes again, there's going to be something called the resurrection of the dead. One of the first things that happens is the resurrection of the dead. And I'll just tell you what I believe. I believe one, one thing's going to happen before the resurrection of the dead. The heavens are going to be rolled back as a scroll. They're going to disappear. They're going to burn up. They're going to be no more before the resurrection of the dead. Say, so how do you know that? Well, the Bible teaches us. Turn with me to Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14. He's dealing with the subject of death, giving up the ghost, being buried, being in the grave, and the Lord raising him from the dead. Alright? What does he say here? He says, verse 10, he says, But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? He's talking about death. You remember Christ on the cross? He said it is finished. He bowed his head. He says, uh, he says, he gave up the spirit. He, he says, uh, in thy hands I commend my spirit, bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Alright, that's, that's right. That's what it says. Alright. In uh, Luke chapter 23. Alright. He gave up the ghost. Well, that's talking about the spirit and soul departs from your body at death. Right? That's what he's saying. Man giveth up the ghost and where is he? Where is that man? Well, he's right there where he was when the spirit and soul left his body. That's where the man was. Do you realize that... I'm getting, I don't need to chase a rabbit, but a man still exists. You don't cease to become a man when you die. The man, the material part of the man that's most important to be a man is the body. But anyway... uh that body's important. But he says, where is he? He says, as the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down, 
and riseth not. He's lying down, riseth not. When? Till when? Till the heavens be no more. He says, till the heavens be no more, they shall not wake nor be raised out of their sleep. This scripture clearly says, till the heavens are no more, they're not coming out of the ground. And he says, Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed. Thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee and thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. And the same God that formed Adam of the dust of the earth can find your dust wherever it may be and form you back into your body, my friends, because he bought that body. Nothing's too hard for the Lord, right? Alright? But let's go back here. There's a promise of His coming. He says uh, in, in, in John, He says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And the Apostle Paul, for the edification and comfort of God's children, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he is giving them a uh, some details about what's going to happen in this day of the resurrection. And if you ask me, why aren't the wicked referenced here? He's not giving an exposition of the whole thing. He's comforting them. He is telling them about them. And he says, I says, I'm writing these things. I wouldn't have you to be ignorant uh, about them that they died in the Lord, that you be not, that you have no, uh, be like those that have no hope. He says, for if Jesus died and rose again, then what also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him? If you're there in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, look at the last two verses of chapter 3. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you to the end. He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with what? With all His saints. Jude 14, when he comes to execute judgment upon the wicked, he says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. He's coming back with the saints. Alright? Then will God bring with him, in spirit and soul, Job, Job, who said over in the 19th chapter of Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth, verse 25, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom mine own eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. This body may go back to the dust, but I'm persuaded that one of these days I'm going to see my blessed Lord with my own eyes. And that's only possible if there's a resurrection of the dead. Because Job's body, no doubt, it's been turned to dust many years hence. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring Him. All the saints in spirit and soul are going to come back in this day of the resurrection. You know why? Because those spirit and souls are going to be reunited with those bodies and they're going to live. But he gives us some things here. He says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them. That means go before. That's an old English word. Prevent means go before. We shall not go before those that sleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He's going to appear and descend from heaven. He's going to ascend from heaven 
He's going to descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And if you look over there in 1 Corinthians 15, about verse 51 or so, it says that, uh, he says, Behold, I show you a miracle. He says, In a moment, a twinkling of the eye, at the last trump. Uh, there's a last trump that's going to sound, and then when the last trump sounds, that's when this resurrection is taking place. This just says the trump's going to sound. He shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a gathering together, the people of God, to be with the Lord, you see, on that day. All right? Well, what about that day? I don't think there's a big gap right here. He goes right into the fifth chapter. He says, but at the times and seasons, brethren. Now, when's this going to happen? What are the particulars about when the Lord's going to come again? And we're going home to be at the Lord. He says, but at the times and seasons, brethren, I have no need to write, to write unto you. He says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord's so cometh as a thief in the night. We saw that over in 2 Peter 3.10, did we not? They came as a thief in the night. No. Alright. He says, he, what about this day? He says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then what? Sudden destruction comes. See, there's judgment coming. The same time that he's going to, they're going to be resurrected from the dead, there's judgment coming upon these. And they, they shall, they shall, uh, be in travail as a woman, uh, as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. Then he goes on and says, but ye brethren are not, uh, <coughs> He says, you, you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. We're the children of the light and the children of the day. We're not of darkness nor of night. And then he goes on, he says, but let us who have, he says, let us, let us, he says, verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. We ought to be watching for the Lord's return. Alright? Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And that be drunken or drunken in the night. But let us who of the day be sober, having on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. And you know what's going to get you through times of trouble and trial and persecution? You need on the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. Because Satan's going to try to get in your mind. He's going to try to get you all messed up. He's going to try to get you to cave in. He's going to try to get you to yield. He's going to try to get you to go along with the social uh, sins and views of this wicked world when evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. Go along with it. We need to arm our mind with the fact that we're just here for a little while. You see, that we have salvation. And when the Lord comes back, it's going to be the day of salvation because He's going to come again the second time without sin unto our salvation. We'll be gathered together unto the Lord. And so shall we ever be at the Lord. We need to put on that helmet. Surround our mind the truth of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And that He's coming again to receive us unto Himself. That where He is, there we may be also. He said, put on that helmet of salvation. Do you know why we, we can expect that hope? That's not a wish. That's an expectation of salvation. Why should we have an expectation of salvation? He tells us in the next verse. He says, because God hadn't appointed you to wrath. Yeah, it's going to be a day of wrath, but it's not going to be on you. Because God hath not appointed unto us uh, wrath, but He's appointed unto us to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with Him. Alright? Whether we're alive or dead. Compare that with the fourth chapter. Whether you're alive or dead, you're going to go home to be with the Lord. See? 
We may be still living, but if we are living, we're not going to go before those that have died in the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you're alive or dead, we're both going to be going up to be at the Lord and be gathered unto the Lord. Here he says, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. He died for you that you would live with Him. Uh, he died for you that you're going to live with Him. You're going to live with Him. No ands, ors, or buts. Alright? Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. If Christ put away from your sins, you're going to live with Him in glory. Who died for us, that whether we make or sleep, we shall live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Alright? <coughs> so we've seen that the Lord... So, so here, here's, here's, the, here's the sequence of events. The Lord's going to come. And when He comes, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. We just read it there. The Lord shall descend from heaven and there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. You want another scripture? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about verse 23, I believe it is, where it talks about Christ as the first fruits. Let's just read this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But now is Christ become, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And, uh, I want to, he says, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at His coming. That says there's going to, at His coming, there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Alright? At His coming. So that's when it's going to take place. At His coming. We also find that this resurrection is going to be at the last day. Alright? And I believe the last day is the last day. Alright? It's at the last day because we find... Let's just turn to John chapter 11. And this is also something that the New Testament Christians understood. They understood there was going to be a resurrection. They understood it was going to be a day of judgment. When he comes again. While there, and you who are troubled, rest with us, and the Lord's going to come in judgment. You can rest now. It's the day of resurrection, day of judgment. They also understood that this judgment was going to be at the last day. Here in John chapter 11, New Testament Christians, this is what they believe. John chapter 11, we find when Lazarus died. You remember Lazarus? He died, right? And he was, uh, you know, Jesus came to his disciples and said, Behold, Lazarus sleepeth. You remember the apostles' response? Well, if he's sleeping, he's doing well. You know, like, they're thinking, he's taking a nap. I like sleep. Uh, but, uh, sleeping, he doeth well. And, and then he said, Lazarus is dead. Okay. To the Lord, it's like a sleep. So when he's over there, when we heavily already looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. He's talking about the sleep of death. He's talking about people that have died. Okay? Hope you understood that when we're going over that. But Lazarus was dead. He'd been dead for four days and it was said, behold, he stinketh. I mean, his body's already corrupted. And verse 23, Jesus said unto Martha, Thy brother shall rise again. 
Did you see? What was her response? Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, they understood that's going to be when it was. It's the last day. It's the day of all days. When the Lord says, time's no more, we're calling it quits, earth's done, He's going to take us home. I know that He shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't correct her. So, no, you're wrong. No, they understood that because that's what Jesus taught. Turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 39. Jesus says, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. All those bodies for whom Christ died, He died for spirit, soul, and body. And He's going to take that body home to be with the Lord eventually. And it's going to happen in the resurrection at the last day. Oh, you see the same thing in, in, six, in 644. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I'll raise him up again at the last day. Well, when do you think the judgment's going to be? I think it's going to be at the last day. John chapter 12 verse 42 says, Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, the same words shall judge him at the last day. Alright? And we see it, do we not? We see the time that the children of Israel, He says, I beseech thee by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that the day of Christ, you know, don't be troubled thinking the day of Christ is at hand. That's here. But the same day that they're right up in time, they're under tribulation and suffering, He says, rest with us when the Lord comes. Because there's going to be a resurrection from the dead and there's going to be the destruction of the wicked. And He's going to come in flaming fire taking vengeance upon them. It looks like it's the same day. you got events coming. And what what's going to happen in that last day? Let's turn with me to John chapter... I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 20. Chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He set upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall gather all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. See, right before that, and I almost left out an important part. I believe the Bible teaches there's going to be a general resurrection of the dead and a general judgment. We see the general judgment right here. You got the sheep and the goats all together. You got the righteous and the wicked right here together in this judgment. Well, do you realize the resurrection of the dead is going to be the same? Alright? It's going to happen. He's going to raise them up at the righteous at the last day, but that's when the wicked is going to be raised up too. Alright? Because the Bible teaches there's a resurrection of the dead, not multiple resurrections. So how do you know that? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Before we read this text, I want to ask you another question. I want to ask you a question. Let's suppose that um, I live in Bryan, Texas. City Council got together. They decided that we're going to have a big appreciation dinner and uh, on a certain night for both policemen and firefighters. You know, they're first responders or 
important to us, right? So we're going to give an appreciation dinner for policemen and firefighters. That's what we're going to do. I want you to envision in your mind, when I said that, what do you envision? The city is going to give an appreciation dinner for both firemen and policemen. Think about what that might look like. You know, you probably have tables, you got food, you got people, right? Just imagine what that might look like if a city was going to give an appreciation dinner for both policemen and firemen. Okay. You probably had in your mind maybe a big room. You probably had some food. You probably saw, you know, the important leaders of the city and you probably saw a host of policemen and firefighters in this room eating dinner. Something like that, right? How many of you, based on what I said, that we're going to give an appreciation dinner for both policemen and firemen, how many of you had in your mind that there's a separate appreciation dinner for policemen and then a long time down the road they're going to give another one for the firefighters? Did you have two in your mind? You didn't, did you? Because I didn't say we're going to give, you know, appreciation dinners, plural. I said we're going to give an appreciation dinner for both policemen and firemen. It makes a difference. If I had said appreciation dinners, you might have thought, oh, it's more than one dinner. But that's not what I said. All right, let's go to the text. Here in uh, Acts chapter, Acts chapter, what did I say, 21? I want to go to... Uh, Acts chapter 14. No. Uh, Brother Rick, you may have to help me out here. Somebody else. Uh, let's go to 24. Acts chapter 24. I'm sorry. Paul is up there before Ananias, the high priest, getting grilled. And uh, he finally says, in the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. You know, there was... It caused an argument after because Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. Pharisees did. But anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. Listen to what he said. Verse 13 says, Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. They brought accusation against Paul. He says they, they can't prove that thing. He says, But this I confess unto thee after the way which they call heresy. So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I believe it all, and have hope towards God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Both of the just and unjust. He just said there's going to be a singular resurrection of the dead. It's going to consist of both the righteous and the wicked, the just and the unjust. That's why I believe in a general resurrection from the dead. Alright? One of the reasons. The other reason I believe in a general resurrection, that when He calls forth and speaks, they're all going to come forth, the righteous and the wicked, because that's what the Lord Jesus Christ said was going to happen. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. He's just got finished teaching about the new birth. We're dead in sin. Hear the voice of the Son of God and they that here shall live. He tells them in verse 28, marvel not of this. I mean, I think that's something pretty big to marvel about. God speaks and you live. <laughs> he says, marvel not at this. He says, he says, for the hour is coming in which all 
that are in the graves shall hear his voice. They and and they I'm sorry, on the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. You have, by the one voice speaking, come forth. They all come forth, the righteous and the wicked together, which is in harmony with what Paul said. There shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. And after that resurrection of the dead, now let's go to Matthew 25. After that resurrection of the dead, that general resurrection of the dead, there's going to be a general judgment. You've got... General by mean the righteous and wicked are there. All nations shall be gathered unto him. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Verse 33, Matthew 25, 33 says, and, and he shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And the king shall say unto those on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It says, For I was a hungered, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in, naked and clothed me. I was sick and visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. The characteristics of the children of God. Then shall the righteous answer unto him, saying, Lord, when saw we a hungered, fed thee, thirsty, gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we th- sick in prison, and came unto thee? The king shall answer, saying to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of these least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. These are the characteristics of the children of God. He says, verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And I'm out of time. My friends, on that day of all days, I beseech you by our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. We're going to be gathered together unto him. My friends, we can wear this hope or expectation of salvation to prevent and to help us against the wiles of the devil and against trial and persecution. Realizing the very fact that God has not appointed us to wrath, my friends, but He's appointed us unto salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that we would live together with Him. And that's why we're going to hear the words, Come you blessed blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. He paid it all, all the debt I owe. He says, in my, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's some things he had to get ready to bring his bride home. And he did it, my friends. And one of these days, we're going to hear the words, come you blessed to my father. And that's what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I'll look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Jesus says, surely I come quickly. Well, I'm telling you what, he can't come quick enough for me. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. May God bless you is my prayer.